Hello everyone and welcome into another new Dunn deal. As always, I'm Ray Dunn and today's guest is Temple men's basketball senior forward J.P. Mormon. That's about the extent of basketball that you're going to hear on this podcast and that's the extent of sports you're going to hear on this podcast. J.P. joined the show to discuss the racial injustice that has been amplified in this country over the past month but has really been at play since the very inception of this country. It's important that right now we all have these conversations about creating change in our country and creating a country that truly gives equality to all. Black Lives Matter, as JP puts it later on in the podcast, is a statement that states the bare minimum. Yes, Black Lives Matter, but it's about the conversations we have that will push equality for all people in this country. And I am very, very appreciative to JP and just how honest he was and how he has gone about being an activist for the change he wants to see in this world and using his platform as an athlete for good. So without further ado, there'll be no commercials, no intro music for this one. I want to get right in to the conversation I had with JP Mormon. I'd like to welcome on a very special guest today to the Done Deal podcast. It is a senior forward and the returning captain of Temple Men's Basketball, J.P. Mormon. J.P., how are you today? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Now, of course, what we're here to talk about today has very little to do with basketball. Obviously, given what has transpired in our country in the past month following the murder of George Floyd... There's been a lot of social unrest and a lot of attention brought to racial injustice in this country. You've been very outspoken about this before. So I wanted to really give you the platform here to kind of speak on that. And as you've seen everything transpire across the country over the last month or so of protests, what has been running through your mind? What, what has been the emotion, the thoughts as this has continued? Um, so honestly... <clears throat> This has, everything that's been going on has little to do with George Floyd. And I mean that in a respectful manner because that was just the, the tip of the iceberg. So it's been a, a long, uh, you know, history of oppression, uh, systemic racism that's been going on in the United States. And, and George Floyd was just the tip of the iceberg to make people really, you know, be ready to revolt and uh, start this revolution. So. Um, you know, growing up as a, as a black kid in uh, North Carolina, too, that's a pretty Confederate state, um, a racist state. You know, I, I've had my experiences with all, all types of people my whole life, um, bad experiences with, with racist whites. And, um, you know, I've just, I've just learned to uh, be, use my platform, you know, as a college basketball player to, you know, speak on what I can say, uh, you know, try to just give guidance to people who might be lost that follow me as fans, you know, because um, oftentimes, like, it's a lot of fans that are uh, being my, my Twitter mentions uh, talking about Trump and stuff, but, like, I never replied to them, but, like, hopefully, you know, what I'm saying on Twitter, uh, you know, about everything that's going on socially uh, with all the social unrest can, you know, help educate them and maybe, you know, help them change themselves because, honestly, in, th- in this country, nothing's going to change until each and every individual that lives with hate in their heart, you know, looks in the, in the mirror and, and decides to be the change. So um, until that happens, I mean, it's it's going to be tough for us. It's, it's, 
it's been rough for us, but uh, like I said, George Floyd was just the tip of the iceberg, and it's a lot more than just police brutality. Absolutely. And you mentioned growing up in North Carolina. I know you mentioned a little bit of that when you were talking with Andy Katz. Is there anything that you can remember growing up that really sparked the recognition of the problem this country had for you that I think a lot of white people will never understand because they never get that moment where they realize this, you know, there is a problem in this country because they're not going to face that type of racist behavior. Right. Yeah. Um, in Greensboro, um, a lot of times at at the at the uh, county fair, um, you know, there's a lot of police there all the time because there's a lot of black people out there. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it just made us feel uncomfortable growing up. And we were kids, you know, we didn't we, we weren't causing no trouble for real. So uh, you know, that was kind of like my first instance of just noticing what was going on for real. Um, because like when I was like 12 or 13, you knew racism was prevalent, but you know, it didn't really affect me much because I had white friends, um, you know, and and I, I went to school with with all types of people. Uh, my school was a, a magnet school, so it wasn't just uh, like labeled to one neighborhood or one district, you know what I'm saying? So I went to school with all types of people. Um, so like, it, it was it was different growing up. Um, but I saw it and, I, and, you know, I took the time to learn about it, learn what happened uh, in history uh, did my research, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be a, have a blind eye towards it because I knew it was part of my heritage. And, and now, uh, you know, I, I, I had my experiences with not, not super bad experiences, mm-hmm. but definitely had some, had some, uh, experiences with, with police where I was, uh, you know, what's, what's the word? Uh, yeah, I was, or basically, uh, it was, it was times where police would, would see me, a group of friends, um, you know, they'll just harass us for no mm-hmm. reason, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I went through it, but, you know, growing up in North Carolina, it was, it, was, it was different. And then you mentioned using your platform, and obviously you've educated yourself on, so now using your platform, we've seen athletes do it. Where do you feel your responsibility lies in educating, you know, the masses that do follow you? Because mm-hmm. it's obviously something that people aren't getting in the regular school system where they're not being educated enough on what's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, like I was, I was thinking about it the other day, uh, me and my, uh, social studies teacher are still pretty close, um, from, from my days at Greensboro day school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember he, he, uh, he was a good teacher. He was a great dude. Uh, love him to death. But you know he, the the curriculum just wasn't what it needed to be as far mm-hmm. as Black history goes, and and I feel like Black history is really American history because it, this country you know was built on the labor of Black people. So um, you know it, as a as a student athlete, um, hopefully I can I can spark a change, especially at Temple, uh, as far as curriculum goes, and as far as uh, you know if there are any history courses, I would advocate for. Um, you know, more black history just being taught because, uh, like, for example, they'll, they'll tell you about anything that happened with Thomas Jefferson, you know what I'm saying? Any, any little, anything, they'll tell you anything about him. But we don't learn too much about W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Madam C.J. Walker, who's like the first black woman millionaire. She might have been the first woman millionaire ever. But um, I know she was a very prevalent uh, force as far as, you know, black women starting to 
create an uprising in this country too. So, um, you know, that would be my my ideal uh, way to help, you know, kind of support this. this and um, I'm ready to, you know, protest anything, anything that will help, uh, you know, stop the unrest in this country. And in terms of the lens of Temple, uh, Owls for Justice has been formed within the athletic department. Can you kind of speak to what you've seen in that group, any participation that uh, you've had in, I know the original list of athletes who were on that press release, but kind of seeing what they're doing uh, within the athletic department and what you guys are looking to bring as the athletes of Temple to Temple. Yeah, I actually chose not to um, not to participate in that uh, because I feel like those statements are, excuse my language, they're bullshit because like those statements don't do anything for us. They don't, they don't spark any real change. Because like real change has to come from the top, and when the top is is, is racist and you know they're they're oppressors, it's it's never going to be any real change. So I decided not to participate in in making that statement that the student athletes released because you know it, uh, a couple of days later the president came out uh, Richard Richard England came out and said you know we can't do anything about the code of conduct um, for hate speech. So mm-hmm. um, like those those statements I've, I've never really cared about them anytime anybody puts a statement out it don't it doesn't really mean much you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. because that doesn't it, it might it might cause a little bit of awareness but real change has to come from from the top and the people in charge you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and then kind of shifting gears on that globally you've seen corporations you've seen uh famous people you know release statements and all these things but how frustrating is it when you see you know people making change but not the change that's really being asked for yeah um so like it's 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 been great all the change that has happened but like they i feel like the people uh that are in charge know that there's a deeper problem and Mm -hmm. they know the deeper root of the problem but they just choose to ignore it and that's what's really frustrating it's it's great seeing the black Lives matter uh plaza in dc it's great uh you know, they took down these Confederate statues. Um, all these things are, are great, but, you know, Breonna Taylor's killers are still loose. Um, you know what I'm saying? They, they still are walking the streets. Uh, and, and it's not just Breonna Taylor. It's it's so many police officers that live by that blue wall of silence mm-hmm. that they want to protect each other. That, you know, like, until, until there's some real change, none of that matters. Mm-hmm. And in terms of conversations internally, I know you went and protested with uh, head coach Eric McKee and his son. What have the conversations internally as a team been like about uh, what's happening in the country? Basically, our conversations as a team have been more so geared to what we can do to help and, uh, you know, what to do in situations where, you know, we could be discriminated against and, uh, and, and how to uh, conduct ourselves if, you know, we're going to be vocal about it. Those have really been our conversations. And um, I feel like oftentimes, too, uh, in my first three years, um, you know, whenever it was interviews and stuff, I was, I've was i always been an outspoken guy, and I'm always mm-hmm. going to speak my mind. And, you know, some people have told me I need to, like, you know, kind of slow it down a little bit but uh, or uh, be more conservative with my words. But conservative doesn't work. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've been conservative. We've been we've been chill. You know, we've been telling y'all, we, well, not y'all, we've been telling the oppressors the same thing 
over and over again for the past 20 years. And, you know, I feel like they hear us. They hear us and they know they know what's going on, but they just don't care. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's just my stance on that. And then having that day where you went and protested with Aaron McKee, can you kind of run me through what that was like, uh, you know, kind of the scene for you guys and, and what really transpired? Yeah, so so um, what, I, what I love about Coach McKee is, is he was ready to be out in the field. And, and that was really inspiring to me, you know, just as one of his players, to see him be able to, you know, go out there. He took his kid out there. He had his wife out there. He had a bunch of his, his, his friends out there. And, you know, that was just really inspiring to see, like, you know, he's trying to make a difference, and he really wants change for this country. And, um, you know, we've had our conversations. Uh, plenty, we've had plenty of conversations throughout this time, um, you know, just, just being one of the more experienced guys, you know, he – we, we lean on each other, you know what I'm saying? So um, it, was, it was great going out there with him. Uh, we, we had planned it a couple of days uh, in advance. He, he had told me about it, called me up, saying he was going to do it, and I was I was down for it 100%. So, um, you know, I, I'm thankful that he asked me to participate with him. I had a great time. Um, and it, it was really great to see, like, all the diversity out there and all, all the different races of people, all the different types of people. It was, it was uh like for example, it was um, a group of trans men out there that were you know handing out water. It was a LGBTQ uh, like stand where they were they were passing out hand sanitizer, face masks, all that. And it's great to see all that support for Black Lives, and because I feel like we we offer the same support to them, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we're we're all fighting the same oppression. So uh, it was it was great out there, and and the diversity really touched my heart. And then internally at Temple, you talked about leading on. Fran Dunphy mentioned in his introductory press conference that he's had conversations with you to kind of help guide him in what the athletic department needs to, needs to do to really address the root of what's wrong with this country. Can you kind of mm-hmm. speak to what those conversations have been like? Yeah, I mean, and this too started me and Coach Dunph. Um, we, we've had, we had this conversation the night he came to my house uh, that I committed to Temple. And uh, you know about systematic racism and uh, oppression and all these things. We've we've had this conversation, so I know that I have him on my side, and that and that's a great feeling to have you know someone so powerful at the school fighting for what we know is right. So uh, you know I really appreciate him, and uh, and I'm looking forward to you know making some real change, and and I hope. He'll, he'll lead that charge, and I'll be right there beside him the whole way. Uh, we, we, we talked a couple times. He called me, actually, while I was at the protest, and, you know, he just wanted to uh, wish me well and, and tell him, tell me, uh, you know, that, that, he, that he cared about me, cared about what I was fighting for, um, and, and wanted to help any way he could. So it's, it's been great having someone like that on my side. Can you run me through that conversation that you commit? I feel like that's not uh, the – normal conversation with the head basketball coach institution when you commit. What what made you so want to address that as you were committing to Temple? So we talked about uh Colin Kaepernick. That was mm-hmm. the that was the discussion for real. Because it was twenty sixteen. Right. Uh September twenty sixteen. So uh that was that was the main news story at the time. And I asked him like his opinion on it. Um but I know he was like he had he had his opinions on it. Um and, you know, we just sat there and talked about it. And we, we saw eye to eye on it because, uh, you know, he was saying 
while he might not uh, completely agree with like kneeling for the flag or everything, he agrees with fighting against police brutality and systemic racism and all that stuff. So um, we just kind of had to, you know, see eye to eye and just and just talk about it, have that conversation, and then we found, you know, that mutual ground where all right, the the bigger problem here is not kneeling; mm-hmm. it's police brutality and systemic racism. So it was it was that was a good conversation, and I was like eighteen at the time, so it was, it was inspiring. And with that, the kneeling for the anthem, it's going to be a discussion once again. Drew Brees made a discussion like last month. It's going to be a discussion as sports come back. Uh, the silent protests that will occur. Is there anything in your eyes that you would want to do in a game atmosphere to bring awareness to what's going on in this country? I mean, first and foremost, like I, I feel like if if fans don't want to, you know, support, like if they want to support us on the court but not off the court, you know, saying as black men, then I don't even want them to come to the games, honestly. But uh, you know, I I would if there was something my whole like I would take it up with my team. Um, I wouldn't want to do nothing to make me like a lone little wolf or anything mm-hmm. like that. I would ask my team, you know, what they're comfortable with. If they do want to do something, I'm I'm definitely for doing something, protesting silently during the, mm-hmm. in the game atmosphere, all that. But um, you know, it's not something I would do alone. I would, you know, want my want my brothers with me right on my side. You know what I'm saying? So, and I would I would want the coaches too because I know they they're fighting the same fight. You know, a lot of our coaches have been very very uh, local to us too. Um, like Coach Clark was out there protesting mm-hmm. Raheem Matt. Um, so you know what I'm saying? They they're in this fight too. And for you, where do you go from here? As you move to action and move to what you want to see happen, what mm-hmm. is next for you? Um, so probably uh, I'm going to go to the, the president's office, um, Mr. Richard English's office. Uh, I mean, because he talked about it. And, you know, we were saying, like, we, we just have to go to the, the highest power here um, to get some real change. And hopefully we can get him to understand uh, you know what's what's really going on and, and what the real problems are and what really needs solving. Uh, like, for example, they they were talking about um, allocating funds from what they were giving to Philadelphia police uh, into like uh, cultural programs or something like that. But I want to know what the cultural programs actually are because saying like putting out that statement, you know, what I'm saying to the blind eye, yeah, it looks good, but you know what happens with that money for real? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And uh, that that would be my next step. I'm I'm just really trying to, you know, hopefully can't can't change the world by myself, but I can help change this campus for sure. Mm-hmm. And I noticed we mentioned how outspoken you are on Twitter. You mm-hmm. were very vocal in support of Bubba Wallace and what happened in the NASCAR thing. My favorite my favorite part of all that was you went through the replies of the NASCAR tweet. And he quote tweeted all of, all, not all of, but a lot of the tweets that were going with the all lives matter kind of thing with black lives mm-hmm. matter. Is, is this kind of engagement what, what you're looking to do to spark the conversation? Because I was a huge fan of seeing what, what, what you were doing in trying to make people realize, like, what are you doing saying this? Also? What are you contributing to the conversation? Right. Yeah, that, that was crazy because, like, um, 
you know, for those who don't know, Bubba Wallace, uh, it was a news found in his, um, well, the first problem was the Black Lives Matter on his car, and people thought that was mm-hmm. a problem. But at the same time, um, you know, those same people calling the Black Lives Matter sticker problem mm-hmm. were all supportive for people having Trump and uh, American flags all on their cars. So, you know, I feel like that's that that's like the biggest tale of this, this whole thing is like it'll be a situation where, you know, a black man does something and a white man does the same thing. But the black man is the only one getting scrutinized, and that's that's really all racism is. And they, we, like Bubba Wallace got scrutinized for having Black Lives Matter on his car at the same, but in the same race, or like the week before that, uh, another guy had like Blue Lives Matter, something, mm-hmm. something like that. And um, you know that that was that was a interesting like Twitter thread to to read because I was like, damn, like all of the NASCAR fans are racist. Because this is that, that was absolutely ridiculous, but um, you know that, that's something that can help spark the conversation. If that's something that can help me continue to advocate for Black Lives, then I'll, I'll do that every day. And then with the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's not really so much the movement; it's a statement that stands for something so much mm-hmm. greater. Right? How frustrating is it to see the All Lives Matter, the Blue Lives Matter, to see? The vice president, president won't even say Black Lives Matter because they think it's a political statement. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating, but at the same time, you got to know who you're dealing with, and and I don't expect any any better from Trump, honestly, or the vice president, or any of those people. Like those those are, those those people have these mindsets ingrained in them, and they're 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 learned, and they they try to pass it on from generation to generation. Um, but hopefully, you know, all it takes is, is, is one of those, one kid in the family to, you know, kind of break that cycle um, and kind of break that that heritage, you know. But that's not heritage, that's hate. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the all lives matter, all the blue lives matter. Yeah, they do matter. They do matter. But black lives is, is what really matters right now. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to kind of cut into that passing, you know, to break that generational pass of that hatred, what do you think is a solution to try and, you know, cut that at its source where the mm-hmm. hate is passed along? Yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's literally all about just looking yourself in the mirror and, and telling yourself, all right, I know I'm wrong here and, and racism isn't right because I should never hate nobody because of the color of their skin. Or, uh, you know, like how it's been uh, like three or four, maybe, probably more than that, honestly, uh, black trans women that have been killed recently. Mm-hmm. You know, that's ridiculous, man, because like nobody should die because of their skin color, um, age, anything, nothing, nothing that nothing, nobody can control shouldn't mm-hmm. be worth, you know, taking that life for. So um, I think it's been, it's been good to see all the support for all Black Lives Matter not just, you know, black mm-hmm. men, not just black, all black, all the black lives matter. So it's been great to see that support too. And then the buzz phrase white allyship has been kind of floated around recently where it's what white people can do to push along in the fight against racial injustice. In terms of that, what are you looking for in white people to go above and beyond. It's not just being anti-racist. It's making a stance to further 
the along uh, the conversation. All right. Yeah. Black Lives Matter is the minimum, the bare minimum. You know what I'm saying? Um, so like, they should they should understand um, as a white ally. Like, you have friends probably in higher places, and and you can educate them because it's it. If you have a a racist homie or anything, just check them and let them know. Hey, this isn't right. Just like you would uh, like all those bullying commercials back in the day. Mm-hmm. You remember those? It should be the same thing. If you see somebody being racist, let them know. Hopefully, they can they can be mature enough to you know change themselves, realize their wrongs, and then you know we can move forward from there. But um, like I said, it's going to take internal um, change for real change to happen. And then my final question to you is: We've seen the strength of the movement and the strength of what can happen when people come together for something like this. How do you continue the momentum? Um, honestly, like, we, we just can't stop. Can't, can't stop protesting, can't stop squeezing, can't, can't stop anything. Um, you know, we, it was a, it was a, it's been a decline, kind of, but mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, probably because of a couple of results, but we, we got to keep fighting. We can't, we can't be satisfied with, with this. Like, uh, you know, it, it's been false. Uh, they've given, or like the people in charge have kind of given like false hope. Uh, like for example, when they were, uh, when they had like the Kinsukute, um scars and they were on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. taking a knee for eight minutes. I mean, like that didn't, that didn't do nothing. You know what I'm saying? That, that didn't do nothing. Why, like, why not go in there make some laws, you know, which y'all are supposed to be doing anyway, make make laws for, you know, change for real. So um stuff like that, you know, that that's that's really been frustrating because like we didn't we didn't gain nothing from that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like as a black man, my life is is no more more equal now just because you kneel for eight minutes and forty six seconds. You know what I'm saying? Actually that reminds me of one more thing before we get going. Uh Quentin Rose, your teammate from obviously the past couple seasons in Rochester is hosting an event uh, up there that's they're going to dribble for eight minutes and forty six seconds. Obviously, the amount of time that the police officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck. Seeing other teammates, uh, you know, step up like that. Obviously, you did the interviews with Dre, um, Dre Perry. You, what do you think has a, given and empowered such a group of Temple uh, student athletes? to speak out. Do you feel like there's there's really a strong core of you guys that this is something that you guys have been prepared to do uh, at any time? So, like, um, I think what's different about us, too, is, uh, like, Temple, I would say, is one of the only kind of, like, high-major schools that's not, you know, in a super predominantly white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So being that we're so in touch with the North Philly community and, you know, just our background uprising, it just kind of like was a perfect cohesion, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, for example, uh, just the way that we understand, like we're we're understanding of real black problems, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because we live through them. We're not not kids that, uh, you know what I'm saying, like they... Uh, like oftentimes, like uh, different schools, big big schools, uh, 
you'll see like they don't really have other black peers either. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a big part of it too. It speaks to the diversity um, that's at Temple. And uh, like for example, like other schools, like the only black people would be the athletes. And that's not the case here. So I think that makes us more comfortable and more uh, willing to, to learn. You know what I'm saying? We see more uh, fights for justice that way because, mm-hmm. like, if we, we were at uh, a school down south, Texas, for example, you know, University of Texas, we would literally, quite literally, almost be the only black people on campus. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of where that comes from. And have you spoken to Quint Rose about the event and uh, had any dialogue with him about what he's doing up in Rochester? Nah, nah but I know it's, it's going to be great. Um, you know, Q cares about the community up there. He cares about, you know, black lives. And he's, I know he's willing to fight for change um, because, you know, he really cares about it too. So, um, now we haven't, we haven't spoke specifically about the event, um, but I'm, I'm proud of him. I love that he's doing it. I love that he's teamed up with that uh, Isaiah Stewart kid. You know, it's great to see. You know, you got two uh, probably the best basketball players to come out of Rochester um, in the past couple of years. You know what I'm saying? To see them putting on an event like that, that'll probably be super inspiring to the next generation of Rochester. So um, hopefully, you know, that's that's what I can do for my city. Um, you know, something like that where I'm just inspiring the next generation to hopefully, you know, continue to fight this fight. Because it's not going to end in no time soon. So that's that's just all it's about, just slow change. Um, you know, hoping the next generation sees it better than we did. Thank you so much, JP. It was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you so much for your transparency, honesty on, on all this. It was much appreciated and always appreciate your insight and everything you have to say. For sure, man. appreciate you having me. Thank you for letting me speak. Once again, thank you so much to JP for joining the show and being so open and honest about his experiences, the change he's looking for, and what he wants to accomplish in the coming months and years. Before I go, I want to be very clear and explicitly say it one more time. Black Lives Matter. It's conversations like this that we need to have to continue to spur change in this country that makes it a country that really stands for all of its citizens. And I hope that you and those around you continue to push for that. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you real soon.